Hello, listeners. Thanks for coming around. My name is Todd Sullivan, and over there is Oren Barter. Hey. And you are listening to When Bad Things Happen to Good People, a podcast about censorship and the arts. Today, we're talking about why we're here in the first place. Wow. Well, Break for music. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I'm going to put that. I'm going to put the music over you doing that, by the way. <laughs> okay. Uh, how you doing, Orrin? Good. Yeah. Me too. Great. Me too. That's a great podcast. I <laughs> look forward to talking to you again. Oh, we're done. Oh, That's yeah. It. That That's, was a, yeah. How you doing? That was Good. our whole episode right there. How you doing? Thanks Good. for coming, folks. Okay. So why are we here? So, yeah, this is a, as I said in the opening, this is a podcast about censorship and the arts. Uh, specifically, well, I shouldn't say specifically. Primarily, we're going to be f- focused on works of literature just because they tend to sort of have the most history with being banned. And it's also something that we can do kind of deep dives into. Um, the general plan is to take a book, um, break it up into three or four different parts, and then, um, you know, gradually read it over three, four weeks, uh, and each week get together and talk about a different chunk of the book. Um, that's kind of what we're planning to do right now. I mean, obviously things might change and evolve over the weeks and months, but that's, uh, that's the outlook. I guess, um, it's probably worth talking about what censorship and free expression, uh, means to myself and to yourself, I don't know if you want to take a crack at that uh, subject. Sure. Okay. What does uh, is, is censorship and free expression mean to you? It honestly is not something I thought about too much until you asked me to do this podcast. And it made me think a little bit more about like, okay, you know, who is in charge of banning material? What material has been banned? What things have been kept from me, right? That's, that's one of the things that really interested me. Um, and I think we discussed this a little while ago, how most things are like community based, like most bannings, Mm -hmm. you know, people band together and they're like, yeah, this isn't appropriate for, you know, a school, right? We don't want you teaching this in the curriculum at this age anymore. A lot of, yeah, a lot of it does seem to be focused on, you know, either school curriculums or school libraries or things like that about keeping, you know, information out of the minds of the younger generation. And I used to think, I mean, I didn't have much of an opinion, but I I used to think that it was at a government level for some reason, which it obviously, it, it isn't, but that's kind of where my head was at. Like the government told us what we could and could not in like digest, right? Yeah. But that's just not the case. Not in Canada for the most part, no. But I think, I mean, I think we discussed before too that certainly there are countries where that is the case. I mean, I think if you looked at China or North Korea and countries like that, there are probably, um, you know, sanctioned books and, and books that you're not supposed to, you know, get your hands on. Right. And I think they have a better grip on the media too in those countries, right? So yeah, they're more in control of what's actually going out there. Yeah. I, I mean, I would be curious to see what books maybe used to be in a curriculum and that were banned before I got to that grade. It would be kind of interesting to see um, what kind of material was kept from my eyes. 
If that makes Certainly, sense. Certainly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, high school was a little while ago for me, but not too long ago. I'm not that old yet, I don't think. Am I? I'm getting old. It's definitely further back for me. I'm getting old. <laughs> um, yeah, what about you? I think uh, I my first kind of uh, interaction with the concept of censorship uh, was in the early 90s. I, I discovered a, a Digest-style magazine called Gauntlet mm -hmm. that was dedicated to uh, freedom of expression. And it was, um, I found it in uh, the local comic book store in Williams Lake and bought it because it had a huge cover story about Stephen King films. And I was a really, really, really big Stephen King fan at the time. I brought it home. And of course, I read, you know, the stuff about Stephen King's films and, you know, their struggles with censorship and, and, and that sort of thing. But then there was also hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more pages um, on things like um, there was a big article on uh, the film Henry, a portrait of a serial killer, which had recently come out at that time and was, I think, one of the first films to be rated with an NC-17. There was, um, you know, a bunch of articles about the new NC-17 rating and how it was replacing the old X rating and sort of how that process went. There were uh, articles on um, the photography of um, artist Robert Maplethorpe. There were articles on um, the, the censored music of Two Live Crew. And so it kind of opened my eyes to how much uh, in the, the arts community there were people actively creating things that different levels of society were pushing back against and saying, no, you can't show this or no, you can't say this or, you know, no, you can't hang this painting or this, this picture in a gallery. And I guess it just sparked a curiosity in my mind to say like, as soon as someone is saying, no, we don't want you to read this or no, we don't want you to look at this. Now I'm like, Oh, well, now I want to. Mm -hmm. Now I want to know what it is that you're trying to keep from me. So what was it? NC-17? NC-17, yeah. NC, now, is that like, say, an M rating, X rating? Is it through the same channels or was it a different organization adding that rating to things? No, no. It was basically it was. Um, so what had happened was. Uh, the the way the ratings board originally worked, it had X was the rating above an R rating, right? So, um, you know, if it was, I, I mean, I don't know what it was for, you know, what they were using it for, but mm -hmm. that was the rating above an R. So when at a certain point, pornographic films were like, oh, well. Yeah, I was going to say, can I, X, rate, X rating kind of, I don't know, if goes hand in hand with porn. It doesn't though. See, that's that's the mistake. Oh, okay. Um, an X rating originally was for um, just a, a traditional film that had content that was higher than an R rating. Porn films at huh. that point were like, oh, so what we're going to do is we're just going to completely make up our own rating called XXX. Okay. And we're going to say, oh, if you think that film is bad, then our film has like three X's. Ha ha ha. It's got to be even worse. And so as, once the porn film started doing that, it kind of tainted the integrity of the actual for real X rating. Right. And so um, filmmakers wouldn't release films if they got an X rating. And part of the purpose behind the creation of the NC-17, which I believe was for it's no children under the age of 17, NC-17. Right. 
um, part of the reason for creating that new rating um, was to break that stigma associated with the rating of the letter X. So that you know, now we have a rating that hopefully we can give to a film and it won't scare away um, theaters who might want to run it. It didn't really work. Theaters still didn't really want to run NC-17 films. Um, quite often films just end up going um, unrated if they end up going that high. And mm-hmm. like, that's a whole other conversation and, and one that I'm not um, researched enough to, to speak to right now. But um, all of that is actually probably stuff that I learned in that uh, Gauntlet magazine that I've retained since then. So wow. I learned something. But yeah, it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm that guy now who... You know, when I hear about a movie that like someone says, oh, my God, it's it's so terrible. It's so nasty. You can't believe it. I'm like, OK, well, I got to go check that out and see what it's all about. <laughs> do you have, do you have see, any recent examples? Oh, um, not recent, though. I, I, I recently re-reminded myself that I want to watch uh, the film. I believe it's pronounced Sallow. Um, or the 120 Days of Sodom, um, which is supposed to be like way up there in the the nastiest films. And then there was uh, a number of years ago, um, I heard about a film called the a Serbian film, um, which was supposed to be like unbelievably horrific. And I sat down and watched it that night after hearing about how horrific it apparently was. And uh, it was one of those films that. I, I'm kind of glad that I watched it, even though I don't think I would ever. I should not say I would never watch it again because I, I, I'm already thinking like I need to revisit it and and look at it again from a different perspective. Maybe I don't know. Okay, it was a dark, 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 dark film. See now, you're talking film, something like a narrative, a story, fiction, right? Sometimes. Um, but I remember hearing about this movie called A Thousand Faces of Death. Mm-hmm. It was basically, um, say, a live leaks compilation before the internet. It right. was shown in some movie theaters. It was an hour and a half of people dying on the big screen, which right. just sounds absolutely horrific to me. I would not want to watch that. But and some people know... get their kicks from that kind of shit, right? Mm-hmm. And if that's the one I think it is, and it may not be, um, but if it is the one that I think it is, I think like some of the deaths aren't real. Um, some of them are faked. Okay. Um, even some, like even the real ones are all like accidental deaths. So it's not like you're actually watching somebody be murdered on purpose. Yeah. You're not, yeah. And that's, okay. that's um, one of the reasons where I've seen, the claim made, and I, I can't speak for how accurate it is, but the claim that there has never been, like, no one has ever found a legit snuff film, um, defining a snuff film as a film where someone is murdered solely for the purpose of filming it. Okay. Right. So you could release a film that has someone dying. Because if somebody's going to murder somebody, are they going to fucking film it on purpose? I mean, it depends on. Well, yeah, okay. The, the person all right let's not, let's not delve too far into that one i mean while we're on the topic hmm. live leaks have you seen any of the stuff on that site um it, i don't it, know if i've i've probably seen stuff that was on the site i remember um 
maybe a year and a half ago when the the shooting at the Australian mosque happened. Okay. Um, a guy I worked with, like he was he was the desk right next to me. Um, he had brought it up on his phone and was watching it. And like, it's not something I would have gone and sought out, but because like I could, I could hear it like literally right next to me. I'll admit I got up and I went over and I, I watched and was kind of horrified. And, but I don't think I've ever gone to live leaks. I remember there was a website, uh, on the internet many, 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 many years ago called Dan's gallery of the grotesque that used to house stuff like that, like, you know, a video mm-hmm. of, of, um, uh, you know, people who've been killed, you know, horrible car accidents. I remember there was, um, there was a series of, of photos that he published that where a woman and her boyfriend had worked together to kill her husband. And then, um, they like posed his, dead body in in varying positions and mutilated his body and like they they cut off his penis and put his penis in his mouth and photographed that and somehow they decided i I think this was the story they had decided to take the photos to an actual photo developing place and uh when when the film was processed these guys were like oh well let's phone the police (laughs) you know shit holy Um, fuck so that was maybe not the wisest thing they ever did. So, I mean, what do you what do you think about that sort of stuff? Like, like death on film. Um, I know uh, a friend of mine had watched a couple of murders, decapitations, things like this. Um, yeah. He tried to get me to watch them, but I I just I I was like, no, I I can't do that. I can't. I don't want to witness that. I don't want to know what that's going to do to my head. You know, like, I just didn't feel like when he, him describing them to me was enough of a stimulant that I didn't want to witness the real thing. Yeah. Um, but do you think things like that, like, I mean, it still exists, even though we're getting closer and closer to an age where the, like the internet is becoming more controlled. Do you think those things should be allowed to continue? Or what do you think? I think they will continue, certainly. I think there's always going to be people who want to see that, and there's always going to be um, a way to circumvent the attempts to shut them down. I don't think I would be as prone to fight for that particular form of freedom of speech, because I'm not sure that that necessarily is freedom of speech you know for one thing in most of those cases the 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 people who are leaking that footage aren't the ones who are in charge of the footage right it's not Mm -hmm. you know i you know i'm the family of the person that this happened to and i've decided to release this footage uh, as a way of you know showing what happens when you drink and drive or you know, things like that. These are people just sort of salaciously leaking it so that people can get their jollies off it. Whereas when we're looking at books and, and films that have been censored, those are things that have, you know, they have an author and they have, um, you know, whether you agree with the story or the message they're trying to convey, there is argue, arguably um, a message there that the author is trying to get across in, in this way. Right. And I think... There's thought behind 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I know, I don't know, I don't think it was banned, but I remember one of the most, you know, controversial art pieces I read about was a, um, I don't know what you'd call it, like a, uh, anyway, it was called Piss Christ. And it was, uh, it was a, it was a crucifix inside of a jar filled with, uh, I believe, the artist's urine. And, uh, and that was it. That was the art. And uh, there was a lot of people who weren't a fan. Um, I don't know if I would want to display that in my home myself, but um, I think it's interesting. And whether or not you agree with whatever message the artist was trying to convey, there was definitely something there that that doesn't exist in just a leaked video of something horrifying. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, I, I'm curious um, because you asked me about what I thought about Live League, sort of what's your take on those sorts of sites and, and do they do they have a purpose? Are they doing some kind of cultural good? Uh, what do you think? Uh, that's a tough one. I don't think anybody needs to see those things. But then now we're talking about like, you know, whose opinion is it what people see and what people don't right yeah um i don't see any benefit to it it's horrifying the things that were described and, and some of the things that i did see um you know actually watching the life come out of somebody is terrifying it's scary it's it's sad it, well, but I mean, that's also just your personal experience of it too, right? Some people may find it, um, that's what I'm looking for. Like it may, it may, it may help them understand the process of dying and it may, um, make them feel better about their mortality too. It could. To me, I think the, the biggest issue is around like the question of consent and whether or not the individuals being, um, you know, photographed or filmed, or whether or not the families of those people, uh, their consent to having the information released. Right. And I think in terms of the specific videos that I'm talking about, the consent of the actual person being filmed is not a possibility. Right, because right. they're dead, yeah. So, yeah, that would be interesting to know if... Um, I mean, I personally don't want to know, but it makes you curious. Do the people... Related, yeah, related to these people know about these, and how how would that make you feel? I think, um, I mean, again, I don't want to you know, put words in anyone's mouth, but mm -hmm. yeah, I think, I mean, again, just the the nature of the name of the site, Live Leaks, uh, implies that these things are being leaked, and when things are being leaked, it's being done without official permission. So right. Anyway, I mean, I didn't mean to bring this in a really depressing scary direction but it is no, it, it is interesting to me to to hear that the documentary of Malcolm X is is banned and you know some of these these other things are are prominently displayed yeah and which by the way uh, in case you're wondering why he happened to mention the autobiography of Malcolm X, that is going to be uh, the first book on our uh, reading schedule. Uh, I don't want to talk about it too much because this is intended to be sort of an overall introduction to the podcast. But I will say that if you listen to our uh, episode zero, 
I mentioned that our first book was going to be a book called The Turner Diaries, which is banned or yeah, is banned in Canada, um, at least to the extent that uh, you can't bring it across the border. Um, but we decided to sh change things up, given the um, the Black Lives Matter protests that have been happening the last week, 10 days, something like that in the U.S., decided this might be a really good time to dig into some um, African-American authors um, with works that had been banned. Uh, and we looked at a couple of options and we settled on the autobiography of Malcolm X. Um, so we'll be running through the first quarter or so of that book in our episode next week. And I, for one, as a um, incredibly privileged white guy um, <laughs> with, um, you know, who grew up in a very white neighborhood, uh, not knowing a lot of people of color, uh, I think it's a long time coming for me to, you know, dig a little bit into that culture and, and try to expand my understanding of it a little bit. Absolutely. But, uh, like I said, I don't want to derail this conversation uh too much because uh, i haven't read much more than 20 pages of that book yet so i don't have too much to say on the subject i mean i was going to ask you if if you i mean granted this uh the subject of of censorship and and banned books is new to you um but do you know of any books that you've read in the past that ha there was one that you yeah, mentioned there was as one. we were looking um, through it was banned from the i think at least some canadian high school curriculum um, and may, I, I think I may have read it in university. Um, it was Barometer Rising. Okay. And what was that about? Oh, wait. Was it Barometer Rising? Oh, God. You're, you put me on the spot here. I'm going to have to figure out what that one was again. Yeah, I think that name sounds familiar. I think that's what you said it was. It was... Uh, the book was about um, the explosion in Halifax in the harbor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was about this young man who lived through it and his love for his cousin, romantic love. Uh -huh. um, they were in secret and with this travesty, they survived it and they were able to um, go on with their lives together because the life that was holding them accountable and you know you back away from their love was in a sense destroyed and it was kind of as i understand it i haven't read any other books from the same author but it was kind of a theme of his not the cousin thing but disaster birthing a brand new beginning right 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 um and honestly i don't know why maybe it was the cousin thing i'm not sure but, about why it might have been banned yeah but it was a really really well written book um it really talked about the history he delved really deeply into what actually started that that whole situation um mm -hmm. the people that tried to save you know like the people that were in the middle of it trying to help people and it was a really interesting it was it was historical fiction um, I really enjoyed it, and maybe one day we'll 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 go to it. Um, honestly, I I really should have 
done some research before we got on this, but <laughs> no, my apologies. I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I just thought, you know, um, it would be interesting to see if, if even just a little bit of reading that you had done about banned books, whether or not you had read any of them in the past. I, I you know I what? I think I, yeah, I one. think I probably have, um, I am getting old now, so, you know, the things that the kids <laughs> can't read now, I maybe read when I was younger. I don't know. Oh, when it was, <laughs> those books were permissible back in the day. Yeah. And that is, I think, uh, quite often one of the reasons that they, they get banned. Like, if you look at some of, like, Mark Twain's stuff, um, Huckleberry Finn or, or Tom Sawyer, those things are often, um, they try to ban them. And I think it has to do with the the depiction of race in that era, um, which is no longer, like, that sort of depiction is no longer okay. And it becomes that question of, is, is do we allow this book to sit on the shelves as a, as an illustration of what the attitudes towards race was like at that time, or do we blot it out and silence that part of history? Right, and that's a tough decision to make. And whose decision it is. is it? It that's exactly right. Right, you know there was a point a few years ago uh, where I started kind of looking for books that had been banned and you know for example I actually there was a um, a family here in Kamloops at one point that was trying to uh, get the perks of being a wallflower pulled from I don't know if it was the library or from the curriculum here or one of the high schools and since I'd never read it I was like oh now's a perfectly good time to you know find out what this book is all about so I went out of my way to read it quite enjoyed it um, and so I have you know frequently over the last number of years gone out of my way to look for books that have been uh, banned or um, books that have been challenged. Right, right, okay. Because they uh, quite often challenged books haven't actually been banned, but somebody's come up and said, I think we should. Right. So that's the challenge. And I'm just... So now, is is banning a library-to-library a, a library thing? Is it a school-to-school school thing? Yeah. I mean, I think... You could like like is it one of those things when it's banned in one library it, it begin and maybe a second one takes it on, the more libraries that ban it the more it becomes. Um, I'm hedging on a word too, but the more it becomes the norm to be banned. Or is it a sweeping thing that happens all at once usually? No, I do think it's like either on a school by school or at least school board by school board basis. Like, okay. um, you could go to your local school board and say, I think this book needs to be pulled from the, the curriculum. And they would, they might consider pulling it from all the schools in that district, but it wouldn't affect schools in any other district, right? Um, and now what, what book were you telling me about that was banned and the people who actually banned it hadn't read the book. Which book was that? Oh, um, that actually, I'd have to see if that's still up in my tabs, because that was when we were Because that strikes me as, like, weird. You're going to ban something and you're not going to take the time and at least... I, you know what? I think that's the one that you mentioned you had read. Barometer Rising is a romantic, realistic novel by Canadian author Hugh McClellan. The work explores life in Halifax, Nova Scotia during World War I and its interruption by the Halifax explosion. The narrative predominantly follows and pivots upon the romantic life of Penny Wayne. That's, that's the, the Wikipedia snippet. Yeah. Um, so I was... Go me. 
But see, yeah, I found found the page that I had up before, which Mm -hmm. says, um, uh, at a convention in 1960, members of the Manitoba School Trustees Association voted unanimously to ask Manitoba's Department of Education to remove this novel from the high school curriculum. Trustees objected to the vulgarity and language used, though later admitted to not having read the novel. So that's probably a case where, yeah, someone is coming to the board and says, we got to ban this book because it has vulgarity and bad language. And the board is like, oh, shit, we can't let that happen. And then they <laughs> the just, board, you know, the board they is just, like, oh, fuck. Oh, goddamn. <laughs> and so they act on we that. We can't have fucking cursing in our fucking they, shit. They act on that without actually doing any research, right? Right. And I will have to read it again. Maybe we'll do this if you don't mind. Sure, yeah. I think, I think you would enjoy it. Um, I don't remember a lot of vulgarity. Um, the only thing that I remember even being kind of uh, questionable would be the primary romantic relationship right. between first cousins, which is, you know, very much questionable at, at, to say the least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't remember there being a lot of, lot of vulgarity. I remember it being well written. Well, maybe we'll put that... After the Turner Diaries or somewhere down yeah. the road. No, no, no rush on that. Um, anything else you want to talk about? Hmm. Do you, uh, have, do you, do you, are there any films that you've watched that have been, that you know of that were banned or censored or, uh, do you have like a favorite director's cut of a film? Because quite often that's, um, where we get to see the uncensored version of a film where, you know, a studio has come in to, um, a director's film and said like, ah, we don't like it. We're going to chop a bunch of stuff out and release it. I think that probably South Park should have been censored more. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a cartoon geared towards children. It is. Uh, no, I do not agree that it's geared towards children. It is not. You don't think so? No. Because when it came out, I was a kid and everybody watched it. We all watched it. Doesn't mean it was intended for you, dude. I don't know. It felt like it was intended for us. How old were you? Oh, God. I don't know. 10, 11, mm. 12? Too young. Maybe. Um, but, I mean, it was fucking hilarious, and but I enjoyed every minute of I think but... if you look at the, <laughs> the early seasons of South Park 2, they're, they're nowhere near as political as the show eventually got. No, but they were still pretty vulgar. They were maybe, vulgar, but maybe I'm remembering it worse because I was in a more impressionable state. But I remember it being like watching it and being like, "Holy crap! Is nobody gonna stop?" You know? I don't know. Like the, and, the, the first episode was about a fat kid with a the alien probe up his butt. <laughs> like, I mean, that's not that bad. <laughs> it's pretty bad. I mean, you're making fun of a fat kid, and he's got something up his butt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you're ten, that's yeah, that's, that's. I guess, funny. The, the, you know, they, they're not always. That's funny now. The, that's still funny. It's funny. <laughs> they don't, and and they don't make fun of him because he's fat. They make fun of him because he's an asshole. That's true. They make fun that they 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 make fun of him being fat, but they only do it because he's such an asshole. God damn it, Carmen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We're gonna get a copyright okay. strike for that. No, we're not. Yeah, they're gonna. It was such a bang-on uh, impression <laughs> that the search algorithm is going to detect that as a South Park clip. I, yeah, I disagree. <laughs> but thank you. I appreciate 
I appreciate the confidence in me. Um, movies that... Okay, director's cuts. That's interesting, because I have seen quite a few director's cuts. I prefer the director's cuts, usually. There was one movie I watched recently, and I watched it... I watched the censored version, and I did not like it because it wasn't as I remembered it. Mm-hmm. It didn't cover as many things. It The story felt... It didn't flow as well to me, and I can't remember what it was. Well, I think it'll be um, interesting to see. Have you heard that um, HBO Max, I think, the new HBO streaming service, is going to be giving Zack Snyder 20 to $30 million to finish his version of the Justice League film? Which film? is The Justice League film? I don't think I've seen that one. Okay, well, he he left the, the film before it was done, uh, in part because of a death in his family. And Joss Whedon was brought in to sort of finish it up, and it was sort of met with universal disdain. No one really liked it. It was such a weird tonal shift from what people were expecting from Zack Snyder. And for the last several years, um, there's been like this push to um, hashtag release the Snyder Cut. And no one really thought it was going to happen because, you know, it's a pretty major undertaking to take. Um, a movie that's already been done and already well, but yeah, but again, you know, any of the footage, the different footage is going to be used. Like everything has to be started from scratch. Like all of the, the color timing and color corrections got to be done differently because it doesn't look like a Zack Snyder film. Uh, right. Joss Whedon changed the composer on the film, so it's going to have to have a whole new score written. Um, you know, new effects shots uh, done for scenes that weren't included in the movie, and blah 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 blah. But they've decided um, to push their new HBO Max streaming service that it's worth worth the investment to have that project there. So that'll be an interesting example of a film that, I mean, it wasn't censored in the traditional sense that, um, you know, it's a message that we need to not allow kids to have. Mm -hmm. But it was censored, I think, to a degree in the sense that DC wasn't super happy with the direction that their film universe was going and decided to do a shift in tone um, by throwing in, you know, this new director after, you know, Zach had to step away and, and try to lighten the mood, make it a little funnier and less dark. Um, And it'll be, I think again, I wasn't, I mean, let's be fair. It was a DC film. It was supposed to be dark, wasn't it? Well, except there again, there was some pushback from the audiences that, you know, oh, these films are all too dark and we like Marvel better. And so DC was like, oh, maybe we've made a bad choice here and we need to try to lighten the tone. Okay. And so it will be interesting to see to me, I think, what, you know, what Snyder's ultimate original vision was for the film. Not that I'm a super super big fan of, you know, Batman v Superman, which I thought was just okay. I did kind of like Man of Steel. Um, and Justice League was just a dumpster fire, I think. But, but yeah, I mean that's you know that's probably the most you know exciting upcoming uncensored film project that I can think of. Okay. Have you ever seen the movie Brazil? No. Um, that's one that has a really interesting sort of censored version. Uh, it's a very 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 bleak dark comedy by Terry Gilliam, where um, the happy ending is a man going insane. And that's the happy ending. That's the happy ending. That's the only happy okay. ending I can have. A guy goes completely insane. Um, 
And so he delivered the film to the studios and they were like, no, this is, we can't release this. And so they, they cut his like two hour and 20 minute film or something down to about 90 minutes, completely altered the ending Mm -hmm. and said, this is what we're going to release. And he was like, uh, nope. And so it sat, uh, unreleased for a while. And if I'm remembering it correctly, Gilliam started doing underground screenings for it to critics. Um, and it started getting buzz amongst critics. And I think it was even nominated for a critics award without having been released. Hmm. And, and it kind of pressured the studio into finally releasing. Cause they had the rights to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there's a uh, a DVD set that I have that that includes both versions of the film, and it's really interesting to watch the two of them. And there's a, a commentary track on the um, the censored one that sort of really talks about how even just subtle changes in editing or subtle changes in what shot you choose to use can really impact the overall tone of a movie and how they managed to take this very bleak, dark comedy and turn it into kind of a fun romantic comedy, which it really shouldn't well, have been. <laughs> well, like, um, have you seen those fake trailers where mm-hmm. they take a movie and they could just completely flip it on his head? Yeah. Different music, just choosing different scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, even just changing the music and the, the narrator mm-hmm. can absolutely drastically change how this movie is perceived or taking a scene and just pulling the the music from it completely yep yeah music has such a big impact Mm -hmm. in a in a film's emotional expression yep right it totally tells you what to feel at a given moment so i mean we're talking here we're, we're talking a few different things and correct me if i'm wrong but i'm feeling like we're hitting on three different points okay of censorship we're, we're talking about censorship for the dir- direction of youth and maybe even just censorship for the direction of the morality of society well you know, i mean like you could sense. say morality i would just go with the broad statement of you know we are we're blocking these ideas right right um we're talking the censorship for profit we are not going to release this film because we don't think it'll make us any money mm-hmm. or it will hurt our bottom end. Okay. Um, and I don't think we touched on it too much. We did briefly at the beginning. Um, censorship for political power. Right. But again, I think all those are coming down to just different reasons to prevent the distribution of the idea. Right. We don't want your idea going out because... It doesn't meet the morality of the town. We don't want your idea going out because it doesn't match our political ideology. We don't want your idea going out because we won't be able to profit substantially from it. But that those are I feel like those are three very different things. I mean, you're it's it's the same action, but it's three different parties, three different reasons. I mean, yeah. It's just, it was interesting to me. I hadn't really thought about it that way. Mm, okay. I always thought of a censorship as, as, a, as a singular thing. Mm-hmm. You know, this, like you say, like, we're not going to put this out. And that's that censorship. But it's interesting to think of 
how many different reasons there are for that. Yeah. Well, and some certainly are good, as some we are bad, some are questionable. Yeah. And as we move forward and, and look at each individual, you know, piece of work, I think part of what's going to be interesting is looking at specifically why it had been banned or challenged. Like, what is it about this, this work that was, that someone didn't want out there mm-hmm. and whether or not, you know, in reading it or in consuming it, you know, do we agree with that assessment? It's going to be difficult for me to keep, and we'll try my best, keep an objective headset while ingesting these media, right? Because I do get really invested in things that I, I read and watch, right? So, Well, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to come from a completely objective standpoint myself, so. Right. It's just like, I mean, a lot of these things are going to come from completely different times, mm-hmm. right? From completely different perspectives, um, put forth in completely different societies. It's going to be interesting. It's going to make me think a lot. Mm-hmm. Which well, is good. good. That's, yeah. Which is good. Um, and a lot of the, like the works too are coming from like the, the autobiography of Malcolm X, I think was published in 1965. So, you know, that's right. a, a book that's, uh, what, 60, almost 60 years old. Yeah, 55, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's older than me, right? Like, <laughs> that's older that's, than that's me, a time. That's a time that, you know, is way before my time, but, mm-hmm. but somehow still very poignant, you know? Yeah. You know, and, and one of the things that I was thinking about in, in that regard is that, you know, I, I, part of me wanted to say, like, here is this book that was, and again, I don't want to talk about it too much on this episode, but, you know, mm-hmm. here's this book that was written when things were you know, more challenging for African-Americans. But honestly, I don't, I don't know if I can comfortably even say that that's true because I don't know what, you know, the African-American experience in 2020 is like. So everything right. I say about the book is, is coming from that place of, of white privilege. Um, being. We'd like, like to said. think it's better. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But is it? Um, so, yeah, I'm looking, I'm definitely looking forward to reading that um, this week. Right on. Um, but I think, unless there's anything else you want to talk about, that probably brings... No, I feel like that's a good that's a good stopping point for sure. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to this first, um, maybe rambly, maybe a little disjointed episode of When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Um, hope you come back for a little more. Hope we haven't scared you off. Uh, my name's Todd Sullivan. That was Oren Barter. Say bye, oh, Oren. Hey. Bye.